The winningest team in baseball also has the most saves, and people who save the most money are winners. So start earning saves by investing in worthy bonds for only $10 each. These bonds earn a fixed 7% APY, and there's no fees, penalties, or minimum balance required, and they can be redeemed whenever you like. You can even round up everyday purchases to buy additional bonds. Go to worthybonds.com backslash save. That's worthybonds.com backslash save. And save and win. Are you working? What kind of work do you do? This is the Punt and Pass Podcast. Touchdown, baby! Now, here are your hosts, two-time All-American punter Drew Butler. Mark Rick would like Drew Butler to hit it a mile in the air. And he did and the SEC's career leader in touchdown passes and completions, Aaron Murray. Touchdown! In stride as he crosses the goal line. Put it right on his hip. What a throw. Now with the latest from around the SEC and the world of college football, it's the Punt and Pass Podcast. Get to the house, sideline! Pylon! Touchdown! And the dogs are on the board first. Victory is mine. Yeah, surprisingly, I've been lame. Welcome into the Punt and Pass podcast. I'm your host, Drew Butler, joined alongside my co-host, Aaron Murray. And Aaron, we are happy today the SEC released their 2020 schedule yesterday. The Big Ten is in complete disarray. College football is right around the corner. And we finally have something real to talk about. Be sure to follow us on social media at Punt and Pass on Twitter and Instagram. I am at Drew Butler. Aaron is at Aaron Murray 11. And check out puntandpass.com if you have not already. It's an awesome website. It's got YouTube videos up there. I'm looking at Aaron's pretty mug right now. This video will be up later on today. Everywhere that we have our podcasts distributed, we got a blog, we got our merch shop, we call the locker room. It's your one stop shop for everything college football. Be sure to check out puntandpass.com. That's right, Murray. Yesterday, the SEC released their 2020 schedule. It's a 10-game conference-only schedule. At 3 p.m., they teased us with week one. Then at 7 p.m., they went live on SEC Network with a full show. And man, I think everybody is fired up for a 10-game SEC conference schedule. It may be hard to go back to eight games after seeing the back-to-back-to-back-to-back action seemingly every team has in this 10 game schedule. Yeah, it's sweet, man. When you look at these matchups every single week, it's just great sec games Thought they did a great job of, of scheduling it. I know some teams feel slighted. Uh, the Missouri's of the world, <laughs> Arkansas is a tough schedule, but it's, what do you expect? I mean, that's what I'm going to, that's what I want to say yeah, to the fans yeah. and, and players and coaches that are bitching and moaning. You're playing in the sec. This is the best conference. It's the deepest conference. The schedule's not going to be easy. Stop bitching and moaning. Get to work and get yep. ready to play football. You get to play football. You get to play SEC football. Yes. You should you should feel energized for the opportunity to go out there and play. And they want to say, oh, you know, Alabama doesn't have to play as tough. You know, the, the two extra games they got weren't the toughest in the world. Well, they still got to play Georgia. So they are playing the best team from the East as of right now heading into the season. So their schedule is no cupcake. They got LSU. They have A&M. Yep. They have Auburn. They have Georgia. They have just as tough as a schedule as everyone else. So I, I just, I, I'm sick of hearing the, oh, it's not fair. The two games we got compared to these other teams. Look at the schedule as a total. Everything's pretty equal. Maybe there's one or two teams that, eh, maybe not as, but everyone is playing almost the identical schedule. It's tough. It's grueling. This is the SEC. If you want to complain, 
take the year off and then come back next year when it's not a 10 game slate. <laughs> so play football and, and let's have some fun. All right. I love the intensity. I totally agree with you. I mean, outside of Arkansas and Missouri who did get absolutely hosed. I mean, their schedules are completely brutal. And when you throw in the fact that they're not very talented with their product on the field as well, could be a long we season in both Fayetteville and Cleveland. Yeah, exactly. We exactly. Yeah. But I think when they released the schedule, I was in the same boat as you. I really was. I'm like, you know, I don't really understand the uproar of the schools that think their schedule is too hard. Everybody is playing 10 games in the SEC. It is what it is. I mean, you have to do what you have to do from a week-to-week basis. And one of the most grueling stretches of anybody's schedule is the Georgia Bulldogs weeks two, three, and four. Auburn, Tennessee, Alabama, and then you got Kentucky right on the back end in Lexington before a bye week. People are already circling that saying, could that be a trap game for Georgia? But let's go to week one first, okay? 3 p.m. yesterday, they released week one, and and if you were following social media, following a few people that you thought may have the in to which games were going to be announced in week one, there were some rumors, and there were some rumors that I thought were legitimate in the sense that it seemed like the SEC may be leaning towards teams playing other teams in closest proximity. Cole Kubelik, who I really enjoy following on social media, he's with the SEC Network, he tweeted out around noon, Week one has been ironed out, and people took that as, wow, is Alabama going to open against Auburn in the Iron Bowl? And I thought Georgia might open with South Carolina, right? Because you drive from Athens to Columbia. Would Ole Miss open with Mississippi State in the Egg Bowl? There were legitimate rumors, and I thought a lot of people thought possibly the Iron Bowl could be week one, but they stayed away from that. And they kind of went with some sleeper games. I mean, games that you really weren't going to get too fired up for for week one. I know we're all itching for college football. I know, I know we all want it to be here right here, right now, but it's not. And one of the best tweets I saw yesterday was, how did the SEC manage to schedule seven Jefferson Pilot games in one week? Because they really weren't that interesting. But I think the two best games, Aaron, in week one is one, Tennessee, South Carolina, that will be a really good game. And two, Kentucky against Auburn. Now, look, hear me out. I'm watching SEC Network last night. I'm watching Greg McElroy and their new hire, Roman Harper, just gush about your favorite team in the SEC, Florida. Some things are happening in Florida right now, which isn't getting a lot of media attention. Most notably, their wide receiver core is holding out. They're being very active on social media, saying how they want to be compensated. Dan Mullen is coming out saying, I expect players to opt out. I wouldn't be shocked if a coach opted out as well. Weird things happening in Gainesville. I still cannot get behind the Florida Gators right now to seriously contend for the East. And Aaron, let me tell you one team that I think may end up having a better season in 2020 than Florida the Tennessee Volunteers. I know Jared Garantano is still their quarterback. I know Cade Mays just got denied his transfer waiver. But I honestly, as I sit here right now on August 18th, think that Tennessee could have a better season than Florida in 2020. I, I don't see that. <laughs> I, I don't. I'm sorry. I, 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 listen, I think Tennessee is going to take another step forward. I mean, the, the jump they took last year with Pruitt um, and, and all the – quarterback issues i mean they were changing guys left and right throughout the season garantano would play great he wouldn't play great they'd have some younger guys come in and just uh, for them to overcome all that adversity and a tough schedule the way they started the season was horrendous uh the losses they had to bounce back and finish off i thought was great i thought it was great momentum for the offseason for them this crazy offseason that we've had I, i do think they take a step forward 
I don't think they're there just yet. I think he's still building that program. I believe it's a year, possibly two years away from being able to compete with Florida and Georgia. But who knows? I mean, I think the one thing Florida has that excites me is Kyle Trask. I think right now, if I had to rank the quarterbacks in the SEC, I would take Kyle Trask as my number one. I think what he did – I would, and I went back and watched a lot of film of him from last season when he took over for Felipe Franks, and he, he runs the offense tremendously. He does a great job in the RPOs. He's on time. He's in rhythm. He's a big kid. He has a good arm. He's accurate, makes great decisions, doesn't turn the football over. So you would take him over Mac all, Jones? I would right now, yes, I would. I, I think, I, listen, I like Mac. I would rank Mac yeah. probably around three or four. Uh, I think Kellen Mond's due for a really good season. I think if he cleans up kind of his mentality in bigger games and, and really starts to show up a little bit more, I think he's a kid with a lot of talent. If he uses his legs like we saw last year towards the middle of the end of the season, he's a true dual-threat quarterback uh, that can really be dangerous along with some great talent on that Texas A&M team. I mean, that's an A&M team that had, I think, seven guys last year, seven seniors on that team, really young. I think that's a team that can break out this season. So I like Kellen Mond. Probably that two slot, but Kyle Trask, going back to him, less practice time. So no spring, kooky summer, less practice time heading into the first games of the season. You need a veteran quarterback. You need someone who knows the timing with his receivers, with his tight end. They have one of the best tight ends in the country. I think that's going to be an advantage for Florida. You know their defense is going to be fine on that side with Todd Grantham as the D.C., who has the most reliable quarterback are the teams that are going to start off hot this year. And like I said, I think Florida has the most reliable guy right now. Okay, I, I hear you loud and clear. Tell me what you think about Ryan Halinski at South Carolina heading into year two and having a new offensive coordinator and Mike Bobo. Seems like they could be primed for a big step forward as well, specifically talking about the quarterback position. Yes, Kyle Trask. Yes, Kellen Mund. I think John Rice Plumley could even be in the top five conversation, yep. right? But... It's tough to take Georgia's quarterback situation and throw them into a top three discussion because of the uncertainty. Yes, we know what Jamie Newman has done at Wake Forest. Yes, we know what JT Daniels did at USC when he was healthy. I just won't go there right now. Maybe we can revisit it weeks two, three, and four. But Ryan Helinski to me seems like one person you might put a little circle around and say this dude could make a huge jump. Yeah, especially in Coach Bobo's offense. I mean, what Coach Bobo has done, I mean, you look at his track record. Um, through, I mean, going back to when he was just a quarterback coach OC at Georgia and then what he was able to do at Colorado State, the good numbers that those quarterbacks would put up, those receivers would put up some great numbers. Uh, I, I think he, Holinsky benefited from playing a lot last year. He wasn't expected to obviously play. Injuries happened. He takes over and I thought got better and better throughout the season. I had some really special moments where you're like, man, this kid has a chance to be pretty darn good. So yes. Confidence for him should be at a high I think now adding in Coach Bobo as the new OC, I think that's a huge plus. The one negative is, once again, limited reps. You, you miss spring, you miss a lot of summer, and then you're, you're missing a good amount of camp that these kids are used to running the offense and mastering it. it this isn't an offense you can just pick up right away and, and, and be able to go out there and execute from day one. I was a part of it. I was a part of it for four years. It's a great offense. There's a lot of checks, uh, and there's a lot going on. There's a lot on the quarterback's play. So for Bobo, I'm sure he's going to ease him into it. He's still a young quarterback. It's a new offense. So you may see a little bit more of vanilla coming from South Carolina as they kind of ease into the season a little bit offensively. So that's my one hesitation right now is limited reps within Bobo's offense. I just don't think you're going to see all 
that Coach Bobo has offered just yeah. yet until he feels comfortable with his young QB. All right. I, I do. I, I hear you loud and clear. I think you're drinking the media Kool-Aid on Kyle Trask. Remember just a year ago, Dan Mullen uh, listen, had him I'm, behind I'm, Felipe I'm Franks. The film. Had him behind Felipe Franks. That's I've inexcusable. It, I've broken down, I think, about six or seven of his games in the past month. So why wasn't plus, he starting week one? Sure. That's, that's what Felipe, I don't understand. I Because go back – because Felipe was the guy. I mean, you're going to give Felipe every chance. He was the leader of the team. And he just won. He, obviously, he got hurt. So that ended it yes. right there. But talent-wise, Felipe's pretty darn talented. Felipe just couldn't get out of his own damn way. Yeah. That was Felipe's issue. Felipe, his biggest nemesis was Felipe. If Felipe would just shut up and play football and not try to make um, incredible play after incredible play over and over again – I think Felipe could have been a pretty darn quarterback. He showed some throws during his career. Like, damn, that kid, he's he big, he's strong, he can spin it. And then all of a sudden he throws in the triple coverage. You're like, what are you doing, my man? Like that first game versus Miami. Yes. They're winning. <laughs> he throws in the three DBs. I'm like, Felipe, you're winning this game right now. The last thing you could do is turn the ball over. He would get in his own damn way. And that's, like I said, that's, that's when I watched Kyle, Kyle doesn't do that. I think Kyle sat back, watched Felipe run the offense and said, the players are open guys are there just don't 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 be an idiot and then i can run this offense and kyle took over he was on time he was in rhythm he didn't make mistakes and is he more talented felipe i don't think so i think felipe is a more talented quarterback but kyle runs the offense better more efficient and and that's why i think there's a lot of promise there in gainesville right now all right i i do hear you loud and clear i know you broke down the film watch six or seven of kyle trask's games and i'll be interested to see how he takes that step being the guy this year not having to step in and play really well which he did a year ago my closing statement is this we all know how good of a play caller jim cheney is when they can establish the run game tennessee's offensive line may be one of the best in the nation this year i do know cade mays was denied his transfer they've got a ton of talent they got a great offensive line coach and will friend if they can establish the run game and keep jarrett garantana or brian mauer whoever starts at quarterback for them from having to make those huge plays and really lead them late in the game I do. I just think Tennessee could provide a lot of problems for teams on their schedule this year. Give me your winners and losers from this SEC schedule release. I'll just tell you straight off the jump from Georgia's perspective, Aaron. I like that it's front-loaded. You know, I know Georgia has a lot of question marks on the offensive side of the ball. Their defense is going to be so good this year. They open up at Arkansas. Obviously, that should be a pretty good game to get that week one warm-up in, welcoming Sam Pittman as a head coach into the SEC, but then hosting Auburn at Tennessee, if I'm not mistaken. No, home versus Tennessee, and then at Alabama. So one, two, and three in weeks two, three, and four, a huge gauntlet. But if they win those games, which is a big, big order, right? You take care of Kentucky, you get a bye week, and that back half of the schedule is really manageable for Georgia. So I'll say, (coughs) excuse me, that the dog fans and players and coaches should be pretty happy with what transpired yesterday from a schedule standpoint i think i think a big winner if i'm just you know just going through it right now again is is to me lsu yes. just for the fact that they lose so much talent um they lost their heisman quarterback first pick in the draft they lost two coordinators um defensive and, and a co-offensive coordinator so you're building uh there's a lot of, of kinks that need to be worked out and you look at their schedule to start the season mississippi state uh at lsu and then lsu at vanderbilt and then Missouri at LSU. So two games at home against three of probably the worst teams in the SEC. 
you got to be feeling pretty good if you're LSU. There's, like I said, a lot of question marks. Who's going to take over? How are they going to play? What is the offense and defense going to look like schematically? So you get a chance to really work those kinks out against lesser teams and to those games at home. I think that's a huge win for LSU as they get ready for that fourth game versus Florida. Yeah, and Florida's got a good schedule too. I mean, opening against Ole Miss, Lane Kiffin's first game in Oxford. I mean, that should be pretty manageable for the Gators. South Carolina is always a great battle, an SEC East battle. A&M and then LSU, right? So they've got three tough games, weeks two, three, and four as well. And when you look at that October 17th date, two massive games, Georgia at Alabama, and LSU in Florida, and I believe Florida is at LSU this year. Or is it the opposite way around? Is it at Gainesville? Which game are you talking about then? Uh, LSU Florida, I think, is in Gainesville, it's in Gainesville. which it will be Gainesville. fantastic because you kind of circle that one and say, "Will SEC make that a doubleheader? Maybe Tuscaloosa at night, Georgia, Alabama, and then midday in the swamp, LSU Florida. Who knows?" And then you go later on in the season. Yes, Thanksgiving weekend, Alabama and Auburn. Stay the same. I was surprised to see Georgia and Florida move out of Halloween weekend. I thought from a logistics standpoint, they were going to keep that game set since it's still being played in Jacksonville, but they moved it back a week. Georgia and Florida are both off on October 31st. They're playing in Jacksonville on November 11th. And then the last week of the season is interesting because Tennessee plays Florida in December. That could have some ramifications as to what goes on. I thought they could have been a little bit more creative on the schedule, Aaron, to almost set it up like a play-in game to the conference championship. They decided not to do that. I am just so happy we're talking about football, and it's coming up soon, almost a month How about away. Masters Week, man? How yes. about Masters Week? Yes, Alabama, Masters LSU? Week, Alabama, LSU. Oh, that's going to be a beautiful day right there. Going to be, that's gonna be a lot of fun. Fantastic. Thank God for college football. I was watching that show yesterday, and I just said to myself, I go, damn, I love college football. There's just nothing yeah. better. Got to get fired up. Speaking of college football, the Big Ten's just an absolute mess right now. An absolute mess. I wrote a blog on it yesterday on puntandpass.com. Go check it out. It's funny because you see the media cover this, Aaron, and they're like, okay, it's going to get canceled. Pac-12 is going to get canceled. You know, we talked about it on the podcast. It seems like they're rooting for football to be canceled. Take that however you may. But then once it was canceled and the SEC said, hey, we're moving on, and the Big 12 said, hey, we're moving on, and the ACC said, hey, here's our schedule, now the Big 10 looks pretty stupid. And a lot of people are knocking on the door of the commissioner, knocking on the door of the university president, saying, how was this decision made? Okay, And they cited some medical data, which has since been brought into question as to why they weren't going to play college football. The media is now asking what was said in the meeting, right? Can we have some of the – if you do a Freedom of Information Act and you get some of the recordings and the minutes from why this decision was made and what the university's leaders were saying to come up with canceling college football, it's crickets. Kevin Warren's not responding who the Big Ten commissioner is. Any of the university presidents are not responding. Some have come out on an anonymous basis and said, this decision was not unanimously made. It was kind of forced upon us. We were left sitting there. We couldn't do anything about it. Now it's complete uproar, okay? Players, Justin Fields, Heisman finalist, Ohio State quarterback has started an online petition. It's got like over 260,000 signatures on it. Sean Wade's dad, Sean Wade is Ohio State star cornerback. His dad went on Twitter this morning and said he's going to Chicago, Aaron, to protest outside the Big Ten headquarters and say we want our kids to play. Parents are writing letters saying our kids are safest 
on campus. Our kids are safest playing football in the facilities. And now it's reached a fever pitch. And if you look on the tea leaves and social media, it seems like the Big Ten may actually be reconsidering their decision. What are your thoughts on this, Marie? I mean, is there any way they actually well, reverse they, course here? I, I, I would love for them to. I think I said it from, from the beginning, that way too soon making a decision. I, I just way don't understand too soon. why you made the decision when you did. Plenty of time. And listen, if you go ahead and plan like there's going to be a season, and then all of a sudden, say mid-September, a week before the game, all hell breaks loose, yeah. then cancel at that point. Exactly. You know, it's easier than to say, okay, hey, listen, we thought we were going to be able to do it. We gave it our best. We are weak out. We don't feel comfortable. There's been, say, an outbreak here, an outbreak there. It's just, it's just, it's, it's, it's out of our hands now. We're calling it quits, or we're going to push it back another week or two. I just don't see why the decision was made on what was it, August 10th or 11th or whatever day it was, when you still had another, I would say, three or four weeks before you had to cancel the season. Yes. So, shame on them for being too early to do it. Um, and now I think they're like, oh, crap, the SEC, the ACC, the Big 12 gaining a lot of momentum, a lot of excitement, and and they look like right now they're going to make this thing happen. Hopefully it does. Like I said, it still may not happen. Who knows? It, it may get crazy here in the next two weeks. I mean, you see all these photos of kids on campus and just <laughs> large crowds, no one wearing a mask, and you're just like, oh, man, this is not looking promising, but at least they're going to give it a shot. At least they didn't full tent. Um, three or four weeks before they had to. No, I totally agree. And going back to Kevin Warren, the Big Ten commissioner, the, the hypocrisy of the entire decision is laughable. They're saying it's for the health and safety of the student-athletes. Yes, of course, amid the COVID-19 pandemic, but then you turn around and say, hey, you still have 20-hour work weeks as far as practice and scheduling goes, and hey, we're going to play 20-plus games in one calendar year, so keep it going. Let's get ready to rock and roll. I mean, that is complete bullshit. And then one more thing, too, and I know he's got no control over this specific situation, but Kevin Warren's own son is a tight end at Mississippi State. Kevin Warren just legitimately told thousands of student-athletes in his own conference, no sports this fall, but his own son started practice yesterday at Mississippi State, getting ready to rock and roll for his 2020 season. The hypocrisy is laughable. And Aaron Torres on Twitter, who's a college football writer for Fox Sports, said it best. The father of Ohio State star Sean Wade has apparently booked a flight to Big Ten headquarters. We just mentioned that. Big Ten parents are realizing what he has said for weeks. The logic for canceling makes no sense. You can't cancel for safety, then open campuses to students and plan to play 20-plus games in one calendar year. That is 100% true, and who knows what's going to happen, but the noise is just starting to reach fever pitch. They're going to keep their foot on the pedal. I mean, when these student-athletes really understand what kind of power they have, and it seems like the Big Ten has not been listening to their recommendations up to this point, you could reach a breaking point, which would make the Big Ten reconsider and reinstate football. If they don't, and here's a question from Twitter, Aaron, from a good buddy and avid listener, Jason Simonovich. He says, assume the Big Ten doesn't play. Would and should the NCAA allow transfer opportunities with immediate eligibility to those athletes? The argument can be made based off of prior actions at schools like Penn State, Ole Miss, and Southern Methodist University. P.S. Pray for Arkansas. Agree. We will send some prayers up for the Razorbacks. That schedule is brutal, but I think he's spot on. Look, if the commissioner's not allowing me to play, I want to go play somewhere. Let me transfer. I'm with you. I think they should be able to play. It's 
these kids, and, I, and it goes back to what a lot of these parents are saying too, they, they feel safest on campus within the confines of their team in those facilities playing football compared to just being on campus just roaming around as a normal student. And like I said, those pictures we're seeing from some of the, the average student body is a little worrying to me. If, if if you get these players to fully commit, and I know there'll be some that go rogue and go to some frat party and, and who knows what happens from there. But these kids want to play ball. They've worked their tail off. They understand the risks that's associated with, with playing football um, during this crazy time right now. Let them play. It's like a team that has a, a ban, a, say an off-season ban, yes. where kids are allowed to go transfer and play at another school right away. Same thing should be allowed. If you can't play for a season, don't punish the kids right now if they're willing to go out there and make it happen. So I think they should be allowed to transfer right away, play, and, and see if they can pick up the offense or defense and go out there and do their thing for one last season, baby. I, I totally agree with you. And you mentioned it, and the statistics prove it true. The student athletes are safest on campus in their respective facilities. I talked about it on last week's punt and pass, Aaron. I said people seem to not realize the amount of sacrifice that goes into being a student athlete in college. You literally can't go out every night you want. Would you go celebrate a win on Saturday nights in Athens? Of course you would. That's great. But if it came down to either playing the season or not, and if your coach said, hey, guys, just don't go out after the game, I think the majority of the team and most likely all of them would say, okay, we can give up going out as long as we can play football. And if you look at Dan Wolken, who everybody knows and loves on social media, he was quick to point out that people should be less strident about the they're better off on campus talking a point when around 25% of the team gets coronavirus. That's in response to Tennessee having 23 players total test positive for COVID-19 since they returned from June. But what Wolken conveniently left out, Aaron, is that Jeremy Pruitt said contact tracing showed that none of the spread has been within the building. It all comes from outside the building. He indicated that a number of the positive tests came after players returned from an eight-day break for the 4th of July. The same thing just happened at Oklahoma, they got a break before class starts, and a bunch of guys came back from their hometowns with COVID. They've set up the generic bubble. They need to stick with it, and I think the student-athletes would sacrifice for that to have a season. It is safest, and it's showing that while they're on campus, while they're in their facilities. Hopefully, it remains true. The biggest hurdle, Murray, and you've just been ringing true to it this entire episode, is the storylines are going to come out these next two weeks about outbreaks on campuses among the student body. If they can weather this storm and still say, hey, we're playing September 26th, I think we'll at least get to the middle of this college football season. A man can dream. We can all hope. I think that's where we're headed. So if we can barrel through one more horrible weekend, I'm sure, maybe two horrible weekends of news headlines from the media – we're going to have some college football. What is your level of certainty right now about college football starting on September 26th? Oh, man, I would give it about a 75% that I feel pretty good that this season's going to happen. I think they're going to give it a go. I, I just don't yeah. know if, if we're going to make it an entire season. I just It scares me the fact that you look at uh, just the MLB right now and, and what has gone on with, with professional players and, and teams having to cancel multiple games, weekend series – you can't do that for a college football season. Baseball, you can because there's a ton of games, and so you miss a few here or there. It's unfortunate. Maybe you can make it up on the back end. 
I know they're trying to build in some extra weeks to make this happen for the teams, but if there's a couple teams that have huge outbreaks and all of a sudden the team can't play for two weeks, then all of a sudden people are going to start bitching and moaning and it's unfair that some team gets to play 10 games while another team's playing six or seven. And then you start really worrying about how the schedule is going to be going, going forward. So uh, hopefully they continue to be safe. Um, I just think this is going to be, it's going to be a roller coaster, man. Strap up and get ready because it's going to be every single week. People are going to be holding their breath come Thursday when every team's going to get tested before the weekend's games to see can a team even field, you know, put a put a product on the field to go out there and compete, or is there going to be a sudden outbreak where all of a sudden you're missing two or three games in a weekend, and then if that happens, like I said, multiple weekends in a row, then all of a sudden you just cancel the season. So, knock on wood, I feel good right now, but we'll see. Absolutely, there's going to be plenty to talk about. One more question, quick answer from me here, Murray Chase Edwards at Chase Edwards one two three on Twitter says. Is Georgia losing to Alabama in Tuscaloosa or Atlanta because it won't be both? I, I, I tend to agree with him there. If Georgia does make it to the SEC championship, they will either have one knock on their record having lost at Tuscaloosa or they'll make it to the SEC championship and might drop that game to Alabama assuming they come out of the West. What's your thoughts there? Could Georgia go 2-0 against Alabama this year? That's tough, especially the fact that it's in Alabama. You know, you Obviously, you feel a little bit more comfortable – being in Atlanta uh, yeah. to play that game, obviously we haven't had much success. In <laughs> yeah, Atlanta what are you comfortable with? Alabama, so I, don't, I don't know what you're more comfortable <laughs> That's with. That's funny. Uh, at the end of the day, but you know they're going to have a chance. Obviously, Georgia's defense is probably going to be the best defense in the SEC. Yeah. Uh, the big question mark is going to be the quarterback position. How fast can these guys pick up the offense? What is this offense going to look like? Um, when you have an Alabama team that's returning a lot of guys, some guys coming off injury from last season too. They're going to be pretty darn good. We've talked about Mac Jones being one of the best quarterbacks in the SEC, his ability last year to go out there and do his thing in this offense. So you feel good about Alabama. You feel good for the fact that the game's in Tuscaloosa. But Georgia's defense, man, is going to be nasty. And with a limited time in this offseason, the teams with the best defenses, yeah. I think, are going to have the most success, especially early on in this season. The teams with the best quarterback and the best defense. That's if you don't have a good defense yeah. and you have a so-so quarterback – you are going to be in a lot of trouble, especially early on in this year. Um, I think Georgia and Alabama, that's going to be one of the best games we're going to see this season, especially early on. I agree, brother, and I cannot wait. That October 17th weekend is going to be awesome. And, of course, we will keep you up to date all the way to that point. Be sure to follow us at Punt and Pass on Twitter and Instagram. I'm at Drew Butler. Aaron is at AaronMarie11. And bookmark puntandpass.com for all your college football needs. Thank you so much for tuning in. We'll talk to you later on this week. See you.